Bearstone County contains explicit language and graphic content of all kinds and is not suitable for sensitive listeners or anyone under the age of 18. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 1, Noanel, Part 1, narrated by Luke Mott. The carriage wheels rattle, plowing over every divot and crevice along the forsaken dirt path, likely untrodden for some time. Glass bottles of bodily fluid labeled as snake oil and various other elixirs clack from the reconstructed passenger's box, now a portable emporium. A crudely installed wooden awning hangs over the driver, Amos, enveloping him in shadows save his molted, sun-blotched hands. The brim of his hat hangs over his eyes, and his unshaven chin, riddled in pockmarks and unnatural angles, juts out over his collar. A two-day-old cut across his bottom lip throbs from a beating he garnered swindling Pharaoh 100 miles ago, but he pays it little mind. He whistles a lively tune but can't recall the words, or maybe he never knew them to begin with. Sandstone walls of a nameless canyon block the dying sunlight, leaving a swale of shadows canting over the path. A steady buzz of cicadas rattles the sagebrush and the occasional screams of buzzards sound overhead. Amos jostles from side to side as he counts the speckles across his horse's backside. Fourteen black, twenty-three brown, just like before. The horse starts to slow her pace. He snaps the reins and she nickers, flailing her mane about. Well, get on with it then, you uppity quim. He cracks the reins a second time and the horse complies. About had enough of your fucking sass. Ahead, about fifty yards, he spots an oasis surrounded by mesquites and brittle bush. He eyes the gray water as he approaches, with strands of feather reeds gently roiling the surface. Whoa, whoa. The horse comes to a halt and the clanking of glass vials withers away into the still air. Amos swivels his neck, savoring the twinge of each crack from his frail bones, then hoists himself from the driver's box. Dust kicks up from his brogans when they hit the ground. He grabs his canteen from his rucksack, then makes for the water. The air is stale and sour, as if he had walked into an ancient part of the world, neglected by God, the devil, or maybe no one at all. A fragile silence hovers overhead.
He kneels, cups the water in his palm, and slurps, paying no mind to the moldy taste and stinging sensation across his cut lips. He repeats. Strands of seaweed tickle the back of his hand. He grabs a handful and pulls. Surprisingly resistant, he assumes it to have wrapped itself around a rock and yanks harder. A perfectly circular stone breaches the water's surface and stray strands of brown seaweed dangle over the sides. When he brushes them aside, a pale blue eye looks up at him, beckoning in fear. Christ almighty. Realizing he's holding a handful of human hair, he lets go and the head sinks back down. He crawls backward away from the pool and watches the water, waiting for the head to breach the surface. A light feeling throbs in his stomach, then spreads to the rest of his body. Panting, he sticks his finger down his throat and retches, leaving a pile of slimy water in the dirt and the burn of bile in his throat. He spits, then wipes his mouth with his sleeve. After catching his breath, he slithers towards the water and watches the ripples cascade across the gray surface. Beyond his reflection, he sees a slender wrist with branch-like fingers morphed by the gentle current. He grabs it with both hands and leans backward. An amalgamation of confusing shapes, the body slides out of the water then plops onto the ground in a twisted mess. The corpse is that of a young woman, no more than 20 years of age as far as he can tell. Through a clean gash running from the corner of her mouth into the mangled mess of tenderized meat on the left side of her face, he sees black rotten gums and scanty yellow teeth. Three of her limbs are shattered, both legs and one arm laying across the ground like battered sacks of bone. Suds seep out of the pores of her bloated skin, adding a shine over the splotches of purple and green. Amos places each of his feet on either side of her waist and squats. He cocks his head, then hovers his hand over the maimed half of her face, leaving the peaceful disposition of a young woman wading through an eternity of black tides and an ocean of dreams. He smiles. For a moment, he envies the girl, never having to weather the calamity of existence again. When he removes his hand, he's reminded of the hope and prosperity robbed by the greedy claws of humankind. After some time and thought, he stands, makes for the carriage, grabs his hunting tarp, lays it on the ground next to her, then slowly rolls her body over the edge before wrapping her inside. Seeing that the sun is well beyond the canyon's western wall, he decides this is as good a place as any to make camp. He loads the girl in the carriage, rolls up his spare pair of trousers, places them under her head, then grabs his bedroll and gets to gathering firewood for the night. The world makes more sense to him at night. Breath seems to have more oxygen. Thoughts have space to mingle among dancing embers flashing under a moonless night. He watches the sky, particularly the black between the stars, and ponders on all the questions he won't likely find answers to in one lifetime. 
He thinks of the girl, how she must have smiled, what her laugh sounded like, or her cry, who decided she had to die. Ten miles north of Cedar Rock, he knows of a glade blanketed in fireweed and bluebells. The thick air is coated in the sugary scent of alyssums in the springtime. Near the border is a single grove of prairie fires among a thick wall of quaking aspens. He's passed through a time or two over the years and reckons it's a good place for an informal burial. Three, maybe four days out if he meanders for too long. He rolls to his side, eyeing the carriage perched in the sparse moonlight. Good night. Black creeps in from the corners of his eyes, drowning him under a torrent of dreams. Whispers rouse him from a deep sleep, two male voices shuffling through the camp, clacking and thumping through his belongings. Amos opens his eyes, fires out aside from the faint orange glow from the dying coals. The wheels gently creak as the voices hop into the passenger's box, rifling through his wares. What in the name of holy Jesus? I think there's a body in here. I reckon you're right. Could be a bounty. Grab that end. Quiet now. Give me the light. Amos holds his breath and reaches under his bedroll for his revolver. Only two bullets remain in the wheel. He hopes they'll be more than he needs. Who do you suppose she is? I don't know. Me neither. Could be this fella's a murderer. I'm thinking so. Should I dispatch him? It only seems right. What about her? She looks... Broken. She'll do just fine. Hey, make it quiet this time. Amos loosens his grip on the revolver and slowly reaches to his boot for his bowie knife. They're expecting quiet, so he figures he'd oblige, lest he raises the alarm. Sorry about this, partner. Amos flings the bowie knife as he opens his eyes, aiming for the voice box of the shadow hovering over him. The knife plunges through the skin and crunches through the neck bones. He grabs the top of the shadow's head and begins sawing through the flesh, blood spilling onto his face. The shadow, choking on its blood, flails its arms, desperately trying to stop the inevitable. He grabs the shadow and flips it to its back, leaning into his cut. 
The blade snaps through the windpipe and the shadow stops flailing, only twitching and clawing at his throat. Amos grabs his revolver and looks towards the other. Hidden by the passenger's box in the dark, he only sees a lumpy silhouette across the ground and hears the scraping of boots against the dirt. Help me. Damn it, boy, wait your turn. I'm almost done. Amos raises the sights and stops five feet from the man, waiting for his eyes to adjust to the dark. The man arches backward, revealing the shape of a head, and Amos pulls the trigger. You fucking filth. Amos peels the man off and rolls him aside, leaving the trousers around his ankles. He covers the girl's privates with her tattered dress, rolls her into the tarp, and hoists her back into the passenger's box. With what little night there is left, he sits perched on the driver's bench, armed with his last bullet, and keeps his eyes fixed on what he hopes is the east. This episode of Bearstone County was written, directed, and produced by Luke Mott, with musical themes, scores, and sound design by Luke Mott. Starring Luke Mott as Amos and Padfoot One. Mitra Mott as Noah L. Judy Decker as the mother. Elvira Mott as the little girl. Chris Lorwald as Padfoot Two. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave a rating or review on whatever streaming service you listen on and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter at Bearstone County. Stories written in their original format can be found on our website, somniaticarts.com slash Bearstone County. Thank you for listening.